Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Q. Uh, we've been talking, I'm going to get straight into this thing. We've been talking about the vintage church. And by Vintage Church, if you're not familiar with this, the series of teachings, I'd recommend maybe you go to SoundCloud or YouTube or uh, Apple Podcasts. Where we, we put them on all of those things so that you can hear them. Go back and hear them because we're trying to answer a single question through this series of teachings. And that is, why was the church then so powerful? Why was the early church so powerful? Y'all, Pastor Jim, church powerful right now. The church, the early church, Peter stood up and 3,000 people with the declaration of the gospel were saved and came into the kingdom of God. That's the power the church needs today. That's the power that we individually need today. The church is not just the church. The church is both congregational and individual. So the question is why and how did they walk in that power? How do we walk in that power? That's the ultimate question because I'm not trying to give you a history lesson. I'm trying to give you a, a teaching out of the Word of God that is relevant to you so that you can see and recognize where each of us lack so that we cannot lack anymore but trust God in that area of our life. Amen? So, with that being said, we started this Vintage Church series of teachings. And I've been specific to say series of teachings, not teaching series, because right now I'm like at 12 teachings, and no series goes that long. There's just so much stuff. We, are not, we, we need to get right. We have to get right. Now, don't get all jammed up checking your list. Man, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? Because we learned last week that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, He can create righteousness in us continues to create righteousness in us as we're continually sanctified, works through us so that He might be ultimately glorified around us. Amen? So what I'm telling you is there is a lot of stuff we could do better. But don't walk away from here thinking, man, I ain't never going to get that right. Because whether or not you get that right, God is still God. God is still gracious. God is still merciful. And if you have a heart for repentance and desire to pursue Him, He will show you who He is. And so don't, I don't want to discourage you. But any message without a challenge isn't a message, it's a motivational speech. And I'm not here to motivationally speak to you today. I'm here to talk to you from the Word of God about where we lack. The number one way, the, the fastest route in my mind to excellence in whatever you do is self-evaluation. Where am I lacking? How do I fix it? And praise God, the Word of God is a mirror to show us who we are, who we really are, and a light unto our path so that we might walk in the right direction that it may be fixed in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, with all that being said, we talked about Jesus and Him crucified first because we had to start there. And then we talked about how the early church stood so strongly on the hope of eternity that it didn't matter to them that if they died, they were not going to stop declaring the name of Jesus. We need to get to that place. 
And then last week we talked about the Holy Spirit empowerment. That we've been empowered by the Spirit in us, through us, to glorify God around us. And today, I want to talk to you about how the early church was committed to prayer. The early church was committed to prayer as a lifestyle. They didn't give lip service to prayer. They didn't say, man, I'm a prayer warrior. You looking for a prayer intercessor? That's me. You know what they did? They committed their life to prayer, whether they ever talked about it or not. They were people of prayer. This is what it says in the book of Acts chapter 2. Let me find it real quick. I feel like I, maybe I should give you some proof. Some of y'all, man, you crazy. I am crazy, but there's proof. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, And they were continually devoting, which, give, which means gives constant, unwavering attention to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to what? And to prayer. They were committed to prayer, unwavering in their position to be people of prayer. You know why? Because everything we have, everything we've been given, everything we've ever had, anything we'll ever be given, comes from the righteous hand of God. I love Charles Spurgeon's quote. I say it every time I do a prayer sermon. Charles Spurgeon said that the prayer is the nerve that moves the omnipotent hand of God. You want to move the hand of God over your life? Trust Him in that area of your life. And communicate with Him in every area of your life. You know why my wife and I have a great relationship? We've been married 15 years this week, just so y'all know. Pretty excited about that. Didn't think she'd hang out that long. You know why we have a great relationship? And I can admit it to you that I believe we have a... You think we have a great relationship? Pretty swell. All right. She's all, Yeah. Because we talk to each other. Because we communicate. Because I study her. Because I memorize her. Because I know who she is. Because I spend time thinking about her. These are why we have a great relationship. And it's how we have a great relationship with God. We study Him. We meditate on Him. We communicate with Him. We intentionally pursue Him. This is how we build a relationship with God. This is why they were committed to prayer. Because they understood that the, our prayer life has to be a spiritual lifeline or spiritual lifestyle. Not a spiritual emergency line. So many of us pray when our world's upside down. Oh man, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. God, I need you to help me out. I ain't talked to them in three months. Y'all ever go to somebody you ain't talked to in three months, ask them for money? They're all, why you call me only when you need something? Does God not have the same right to expect of us as our friends? Man, I'm doing some good preaching. I ain't even got started yet. But it needs to be a, a, a lifestyle, not an emergency line. We know that we can count on God to answer prayer. This is what the Word of God tells us, 1 John 5, 14 through 16. 15. He says very specifically, he says, this is the confidence that you have, that we have. That anything we ask, listen to this verbiage, it's important. Some of y'all have been coming here for five years all. Man, you say this every Sunday, but we got some people who may not have heard it before, or maybe, I, I, I imagine there's somebody been in here for months, ain't heard me talk yet. <laughs> so, this is, I ain't, I ain't trying to cool, kid myself. This is the confidence that you can have. 
that anything you ask according to the will of God, He hears you. And because He hears you, you have what you ask for. Now there's some stipulations in there. If you ask according to the will of God, with the heart of God, the desire of God, He will answer you. That's the truth. This is what the early church knew. And because they expected God would deliver, because they walked in faith that God would give them the desires of their heart, because the desires of their heart were aligned with the desires of His heart, they chased Him down in prayer. And He met them where they were. Mm. That's good. For all of these reasons and many more, The early church, the vintage church, was committed to prayer. And we should be too. Jesus himself said that this is to be a house of prayer. This isn't to be a house of prayer before service, after service, before we sing. It should be a house of prayer, period. You should be a house of prayer. Amen? Some of y'all wondering why. God's flipping tables over in your life. Because you've decided to make a business transaction out of the relationship you have with God. God, if you do such such, I'll do such such. Wondering why your tables are being flipped over. Because this, He has zeal for the house. He has zeal for you as the temple of God. And He wants what's best for you. The church knew this. The early church knew this. The vintage church knew this. And we should know it too. And so when asked by his apostles, Jesus, teach us how John prayed. He taught them how to pray. And they prayed according to how he taught them. And in chapters, uh, chapter 11 of Luke, verses 1 through 13, which is what I'll be teaching out of today, it starts with, teach us how... John taught his disciples to pray. It's always been peculiar to me. Why not just, you just listen to Jesus pray, why don't you teach us how, how you pray? Because they already watched him pray. They want to know how John's disciples pray. Something was different about John's prayers and John's disciples' prayers than what they had seen in the Jewish establishment, in the religious establishment. John wasn't raised or brought up or lived in the religious hierarchy of his day, John the Baptist. He wouldn't have learned or probably didn't know the, the systematic prayers, the repetitious prayers that the Jews prayed, the, the prayers that hold no emotion, but were simply stated so that people could see that. It's the reason why in Matthew, when he gives the Lord's Prayer there, it says, do not give repetitious prayers. But they saw something in John's prayers. They saw a sincerity, a power in John and Jesus' prayers, and they wanted a piece of that. Teach me how to be sincerely in relationship with God, transparently in relationship with God. Show me what that looks like, is what they're asking. And Jesus, true to his form, showed them. So let me read this to you. In Luke chapter 11, I'll start with two since I've already kind of explained one. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is an abbreviated prayer. It's a less wordy prayer than what you see in Matthew. Luke didn't decide just to write a smaller version of the Matthew prayer. This is a second instance, just so you know. The Matthew prayer was in the Sermon of the Mount. This is another point in his ministry. What he's doing is he's not saying pray like this because he just told them don't pray repetitious prayers. He's telling them here's a model by which you can hang your prayers on. Here's a skeleton by which you can hang your prayers on. But they have to be intimate to you. They have to be specific to you, to your need, to what you know of God, to what you want from God, expect from God, the promises of God according to your, according to, to your word. This is what he's saying. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me for a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside that... He answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He would not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. So I'm going to make three points out of this text. The first point in regarding the vintage church. The, and, and like I said, I, please understand, I'm not giving you a history lesson. I don't want you to know about the vintage church any other, for any other reason than you can have the same power as the vintage church. But this is what they knew based on this text. They knew to pray according to their need. They knew to pray according to their need. And they prayed according to their greatest need first. I want you to look, if you've got your Bible open, look at the, look at the text. How does it start? It starts with Father. With addressing the Father. But not saying Father in some stoic way. Don't get it confused but in an intimate way. The word there is Abba. That is Daddy. I want you to call God Daddy. You start your prayers in intimacy. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's a little weird to me when I hear people pray to God. Be all, oh, Daddy God, that's a little weird to me. But this is still the intimacy he's talking about. I think there needs to be an intimacy with reverence. But this is the intimacy he's talking about. We serve a God better than our earthly father more incredible than our earthly father, more loving than our earthly father. And I know some of you have incredibly loving parents, have had incredibly loving fathers. But it doesn't matter how you would define your dad. God is better. 
I used to run a men's group. It was a 12-week, or sorry, 12-month, one-year mentoring program for men. And one of the first questions I asked them on the first time we met was give me one word to define your dad. And I've heard everything. I've heard loving, gracious, but I've also heard rude, absent, abusive. Can I tell you, God is none of those things. We have to come at God based on how the Word reveals God to us, not based on what our Father looks like to us, our earthly Father looks like to us. Because the best dad in the world isn't the good God that we serve. So we come to God with an intimacy, with an understanding that as a good, good, good father, he teaches us to walk. He gives us the ability to walk. And I'm talking spiritually. He sent Jesus Christ because intimacy is opportunity is available only in Christ Jesus in the work that He did. God the Father is our Father because of Jesus. He's not the Father of the world. The Father of the world is the enemy. God is the Father of the believer. People are all, well, God's the Father of everybody. That's not true. He's the Creator of everybody. Let me, let me read this verse to you. In John 8, 44, it says, you are of your father. Jesus is rebuking, a, rebuking someone. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. Why? Because all of us want to be like our dad. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. But we serve a better dad. We serve a dad that moved us from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. We serve a God that moved us from death to life. Dead in our trespasses to alive by the Holy Spirit. This is the Father that we serve. The Father that sacrificed His own Son so that we might have the hope of eternal life and learn to walk. And in learning how to walk, learn to walk more and more like Him every day. You guys ever watch a son walk behind his dad? I remember I used to walk behind my papa when I was little, man, and he had a kind of a way about him. But I, I remember my feet weren't long enough, my legs weren't long enough, but I'd still try to put my shoes in his footprints and failed every time. All of us follow the God that we have, the, or the Father that we have. The question is, what Father are you following? We have the right to have intimacy with the greatest of fathers. Amen? This is, the, this is our greatest need, is to be in relationship, intimate relationship with God. Jesus said, you want to you pray, and you want to pray with power? Know who you belong to. Because let me tell you, when I know who I belong to, when my identity's right, I can stand and fight against anybody that's less than my identity. And my God is greater than anything. So I can stand and fight against anything in the name of Jesus. Amen? That's good. Come on. But he didn't just say that. He continued, hallowed be your name. 
You know what hallowed means? It's, it's an old school word for holy. Set apart. Your name is set apart. Have you set the name of God apart in your heart from every other thing? So many of us go to, go to God like this. God, I, I ask that you pay my rent. God, I ask that you watch over my kids. I ask that you help me get this promotion, blah, 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 blah. We just bust it up the throne room, bust it down the doors, the doors of the throne room of God, just asking for stuff. How about when you come to the king, you present the king with something? And you know the only thing you can offer God? It's praise. How about instead of asking God for anything, first we go into his throne room saying, God, you are magnificent. You are holy. You are beautiful. You are so much bigger than I could ever imagine in my finite mind. I look at the sea. I look at the mountains. I look at the cosmos and the universe. I look at, I look at all of it and how it all works so magnificently and beautifully together. And I praise you and worship you because you put your hand to it and decided that it would be, and it is. And you made it good. How, how different would our prayer life look? How different would our life look if we were committed in our prayer life to meditate on the largeness of God. Our prayer life would look a whole lot different. Our life would look a whole lot different. You know why? Because we realize it ain't got nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Him. The larger I see God, the smaller I see myself. I can only imagine what an astronaut thought the first time they were in a, a capsule floating around the earth for the first time. And they looked down on earth. Because up until that second, I bet he thought he was significant in the world. But we're not that significant. Except that Christ died to make us significant to him. That's what it is to hallow the name of God. Change your prayer life. God, show me how to pray like John's disciples. Show me how to pray with the power and the transparency that they have. Recognize the relationship and your identity in it. And recognize how big the God is that you serve. And you'll be unstoppable in the name of Jesus. That's so good. I don't say that's so good like my preaching. I talk about it like God's good. Like that, that scripture is so good. But he carries on and says, Hallowed be thy name. And then he finishes with your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I've heard a thousand sermons preached on that. God let your kingdom come. And I'll be honest with you. For the first 500 or 600 of them, I didn't have any more idea what that meant than when the first time I heard it. But this is what it means. I'm going to make it as simple for you as I can. When I pray, thy kingdom come, I pray that God's righteousness come. That God's peace come. That God's joy come. So God, bring your righteousness to earth. Bring your peace to earth. Bring your joy to earth. Can I tell you though, God can't do anything around you unless you let him do first something inside of you. So my first prayer should be, Thy kingdom come in me. That my righteousness honor you and glorify you because really it's your righteousness. That I have peace because you gave me peace. 
that I'm able to rejoice in all things because I know that you hold me eternally and I focus on the good things according to Ephesians. The peace, joy, righteousness of God is available in the kingdom of God. Amen? Like I know it's raining out there super hard, so I'm going to go extra long just so the storm passes. Y'all don't have to walk out in. I'm not. But he says all of that to let us know our greatest need. And our greatest need is for intimacy and identity. Our greatest need is to honor the God that we serve and to recognize that we don't have righteousness, joy, or peace without Him. But then he says, but also you have another need. You have a provisional need. Isn't it awesome that God doesn't forget our day-to-day need either? For he says, give us each day our daily bread. I love this. I love this. Some of y'all first join us for the first time. Y'all, you love a lot of stuff. Man, just If you don't get excited about the Word of God, you ain't reading it right. But it says, I th- you guys have heard me say many times, we read the Bible too fast. Read the text. It says this, give us each day our daily bread. You know what that doesn't say? It doesn't say pray like this. God, take care of me. God, take care of me next week. Take care of me next month. Take care of me a year from now. It says, God, give me the sustenance I need for today. And tomorrow, because I know I can trust you, because you're a good father to me, I'm going to trust you with tomorrow's stuff. And then the day after that, I'm going to trust you with the day after that stuff. You know what that does? That causes a reliance on him by us. We're not reliant on God because we don't seek his face day to day for the provision that we need. But that provision isn't just physical, it's spiritual. Jesus is the bread of life. God, give me mercy new every day. Give me grace new every day. Let me seek you every day. Show me something new about yourself every day. I recognize that you are my daily sustenance and provision. This is what it is to pray for daily bread. Pray daily. Some of y'all are worried about so much about tomorrow, you can't, you can't even think about what's happening today. The Word of God has something for that too. In Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, I'm not going to go there, but Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is talking about people that worry all the time. and Why, why are you so anxious? And He says, why are you worried? Birds don't worry about what they eat. Flowers don't worry about how they're dressed. You don't think I care more about you than I care about them? This is what I want you to worry about. I want you to worry about the kingdom of God. You worry about the kingdom of God and the rest of this stuff will be added to you. That's, that's, that's what we need to worry about day to day. The kingdom of God. Pursue the kingdom of God. And all of this shall be added to you. Ah, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. But I know the God that's willing to go through it with you. And if he says he's willing to walk with you tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day, then you should be on your face in the morning and the next morning and the next morning and the next morning. It's the only way I, it's the only way I can function. 
I mean, I had a guy tell me, I was telling him one day, I said, my, my life's a little stressful sometimes. He goes, well, you only work on Sunday. I think he was serious. I said, well, it's a stressful Sunday, man. Yeah. But God always proves himself. And he always proves himself true. Then he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive one and everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins. We should live in a constant state of repentance. A constant state of acknowledging our lack in God's ability and willingness to forgive it. And because we've been forgiven, we have that promise. That anything that if we ask, God's faithful to forgive us. And then it says it continues by saying that He will then restore us back to righteousness, because He could just forgive us and leave us out of here. But He restores us back even after He forgives us. And then He talks about personal forgiveness. I can't tell you how many people I know have cursed their own life because they have refused to forgive or offer forgiveness. That's a whole sermon series in itself. The root of bitterness will destroy you. You have to be willing to forgive others. And you have to be willing to ask for forgiveness. I'll tell you a story about my personal development. I saved in 2006, as most of you know. In 2008, I went to a men's retreat. And at that men's retreat, there was, some, there was a climactic moment at the end where or the night before the end where they had an altar call and they brought a big wooden cross out and it, it, they had a piece of paper and you nail whatever it is you're wanting to leave on the cross to the cross and you walk away allegedly leaving it there never to think about it again. So in the prayer time while we're talking, I, I really feel impressed by God to, to forgive my mother. I'm not going to tell you my mother's issue or what she was or any of that because that's her testimony to give but I'll tell you that because of a lot of stuff I held a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness and in that room I knew that if I didn't ask or if I didn't forgive her I, I would, I'd plateau in my relationship with God that I was as far as I could go and so I went up there, I nailed her name to that cross. And I walked away, certain I was going to pick it up again. Y'all ever done that? I'm not the only one. God, I'm going to give you this. Eh, I'll be back in a couple hours, though, check on it, see how you're doing. And so I left that there, certain I was going to pick it back up again. Just trying to be obedient in a moment. And Pastor Rick, who was there made me so angry <laughs> he grabbed me and if you have never had a Pastor Rick hug you need one like he's like a, I was going to say of a mountain of a man but more kind of a like a fluffy elephant of a man but he'll he'll just he'll just he'll just wrap his body around you and he said whatever he told you you have to do it and we both wept together. I left that men's retreat 
called my mother. Less than two weeks later, we were in Dallas where she was living. We stayed up all night working through all of that, but I got to a place where I could forgive her. And in 2008 forward, man, my life has just been bam, 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 bam until 2010. I'm driving down the road, minding my own business. I don't even, I don't even certain if I was praying. I'm minding my own business, driving down the road. Holy Spirit speaks to me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because I, I would have never thought this myself. He said, now, it's time for you to call her and ask her to forgive you. And I was like, what? It made me mad. I told Angela. I called her. I said, I think the Holy Spirit told me this. I, I was 14 years old. He ain't got no right to ask me that. It was almost exactly like that, doesn't it? But the fact of the matter is, he showed me. I was a runaway when I was 14. My mother was younger than I am right now, much younger than I am right now. And he showed me a young 30-something-year-old mother laying in bed crying because she didn't know where her son was. It had never dawned on me that I heard her before. And I called her immediately after calling Angela yell about it and asked her to forgive me. We have to be willing to forgive and be willing to allow others to forgive us by asking for their forgiveness. That's hard. I'm speaking to somebody in here, somebody in here carrying some bitterness around. I had a guy meet me at the welcome booth on the way out a little while ago. He goes, man, I hate when you talk to me like that. I said, I was talking to everybody, but God do you how God do you, you know? So that's our need. And then ultimately he ends with, with this. He says, and lead us not into temptation. Not that God can lead us into temptation. More specifically in Matthew, I think it shows a truer understanding or, or enlightens to a greater degree what he means. He said, he said um, deliver us from evil. This is the prayer. God, deliver us from evil. God, hold me in your righteous right hand. God, keep me safe. I know that the world is consuming. But it's, it's, it's the world. That's why you're in it, not of it. That's why we have a dependency on God. That he's going to keep us out of temptation. And people say all the time, they say, well, the Bible says God's not going to give me more than I can bear. The Bible says he's not going to give you more than you can bear without providing a way out. The world is full of stuff you can't bear. That's the reason why so many of us have destroyed our lives. Because we didn't take the way out. But when we pray, God, don't lead me into temptation. Keep me from evil. We're saying, God, open that door to the way out and let me see it. And let me take it. This is how the early church prayed. This is how we're supposed to pray. This is just a framework. I hope I've, under, hope I've explained enough to know this is a framework by which you hang your prayers. But then he continues. He, he tells a little story in 5 through 10, and this will just take a few minutes. In 5 through 10, he talks about a guy who goes to a buddy's house in the middle of the night and says, knocks on his door when all his whole family's sleeping. And he says, I need three loaves of bread. I got people that came to visit midnight, and I don't have any food to give them. 
which would have been a huge disgrace to him. So he was desperate for bread in that culture. If you had a guest and you couldn't feed them, it was disgraceful. Now we kind of just dismiss it. I ain't that big a deal. I'm not that hungry or probably didn't come by for food anyway. You just stop by to visit, but they were expected to prepare a meal for their visitors no matter what time, day or night they came. And so this guy out of desperation goes to his friend. And his friend says no. And he asked again. And his friend said no. And he asked again. And his friend said no. And the Bible says because of his persistence, he gave him what he asked for. If you'll look that word up, I try not to use Greek and all that because I honestly don't know how to pronounce it. But the word means shamelessly. He shamelessly asked. And shamelessly asked. And shameless. What he's saying is you need to put your pride aside and count on God to deliver the promises that He's given you. And if it takes more than a day, guess what? Pray tomorrow. If it takes more than that, pray the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. I can't pretend to understand why God doesn't immediately answer our prayer except to say this. Because sometimes we need to be refined to be able to handle the answer to that prayer or to recognize we don't need that in the first place. But it's our job to pursue Him persistently. And then He said in 11, Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If then, if you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So he says, listen, you need to pray for your need. And you need to pray persistently and shamelessly for your need. But you know what else you need to pray for? You need to pray in expectation for your need. Who prays that doesn't expect God to answer them? God's a better father than you are. If one of your kids asked you for a, I mean, to be literal, if one of your kids asked you for an egg, I don't know why kids would ask for an egg these days, but if a kid asked you for an egg, who would give him a scorpion? It would harm him. Why would you do that? But there's a greater cultural thing here. The scorpions there are different than the scorpions we see here. Little scorpions here are this big, they're tan, brown. Middle Eastern scorpions, scorpions in the region of Israel are big, white, puffy, large. And when they curl up, they look like an egg. So he's saying, listen, just ask persistently. God's not going to deceive you. God hasn't deceived you. And that's refreshing to me. Not only has he not deceived you, he's given you his Holy Spirit because you've asked him to empower that prayer. This is what they knew. This is what we have to know. That we pray for our need according to the model. Not the repetition, the model. We pray shamelessly, persistently, and we pray with expectation. If I had $20 in my pocket and you were bold enough to ask me for it, would you, would you ask me because you expected me to give it to you or you, would you ask me because you expected that I would not give it to you? You would ask me because you'd expect that I'd give it to you. Otherwise, why would you waste your breath and time? Expectation is everything. I don't know why it's impossible to please God without faith. 
because faith proves expectation. Expectation that his promises are true. Expectations that Jesus really did die on the cross for you. Expectation that he's going to keep you, hold you, love you, nurture you, be the father that you that you've always wanted, even if you had a good one. This is the truth of what we know. This is what the vintage church knew. And this is what we should stand on. Amen? If we're going to be the powerful church that they were. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because you are magnificent. Because we don't have finite words to declare how awesome you are. Because the universe, our bodies, function. We glorify your holy name. God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that, that you've given us your spirit. We ask that by your spirit, you lead us, guide us, direct us, that your kingdom live in us. That your kingdom ooze out of us. That we walk contagiously to the people around us. That they catch what we have because of the spirit in us. God, I pray for, for daily provision. For every person in this room, every person under the sound of my voice, I ask that you open up your hand, that you open up the windows of heaven and bless those that are faithful to do according to your word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you will. But we pray that same prayer tomorrow. God, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you forgive us of our sin. God, whatever that sin looks like, by the power of the blood of Jesus, in the provocation of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you wash us clean, that you chisel that sin out of us so that we can glorify you in everything that we are. If there's any forgiveness that we have yet to offer or any forgiveness we've yet to ask for, reveal that to us before it destroys us. Or worse, God, before it destroys our witness of you. God, I thank you that you hold us, that you watch after us, that you don't lead us into temptation, that there's no sin in you, so you couldn't anyway, but that you open up the door to our way out in our time of trouble. God, we pray this prayer in expectation, and we pray it persistently, believing you will answer it. We thank you for who you are, and we, we just worship you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.